0: If you want to grow, ask yourself in the mirror, do I have a recipe for growth, and am I constantly tweaking that recipe and doing what I promised myself I would do in pursuit of that growth? You're listening to Stories from the Top, an inside guide to better business development.
1: We are here with Dave Revel, one of the founding partners of Element Risk Management. Dave, for people who aren't familiar, how do you describe
0: your business? Uh, So we are a, at the end of the day, we're an insurance firm, right? So I always like to tell people that right out of the gate. But the reason risk management is in our name is because without question, that's our entire, we want a holistic approach to insurance, not just, not just a policy, not just, hey, what covers me when things go wrong. But our approach starts with very broadly where are you trying to go what does the road look like to get there what are the risks along the way things that there is there are no policies for that but managing that side of it managing that side of the journey and then also managing obviously the placement of insurance so we always i always say how when we place insurance yes that's how we get paid when all said and done but there are so many things that we provide for our clients for free that are just part of the the process of what it looks like to really manage the risk of the particular journey that you're on
1: and yeah you we were talking the other day you said you're just entered the top one percent or something what was that stat
0: yeah so as of at the end of this year at the end of 2023 we will officially be in the top one percent of agencies uh in the united states so size wise based on the revenue that we do and the clients that we serve so pretty neat pretty neat yeah, thing congrats. pretty surreal that's amazing. That was yeah, an amazing thank achievement. Yeah. thank you congratulations um yeah i'm really excited for our team to celebrate that together we're going to do something awesome there as a team because that's how we got here but then additionally too it's interesting because you want to stop and smell the roses and all those things but we are at the bottom of that top one percent there is still a very long way to go and a big delta between us and the number one agency in the country that kind of thing. So, I want to put, f- strike that balance between acknowledging and celebrating what our team has done together and also looking forward to where do we go from here, you know. So, like
2: how many uh, insurance companies are in that 1%? Like how big of a category
0: is that? So, so basically just to put numbers around it, w- the top 1% is typically north of 10 million of revenue. So there's about, these numbers always change and fluctuate a little bit, but call it 33,000-ish agencies uh, in the US and that's always ebbing and flowing a little bit. So if you're in the top 3,000, 3,500, that puts you in that top 1%. However, there's a top 100, meaning you are like the largest of the large. And obviously it's self-reported and things like that. They do audit it a little bit, but, to put it into perspective, let's say there's 3,500 agents that are in the top 1%. There's about $5 million of revenue between that being in the top 1% and being in the actual top 100.
1: Wow.
0: So so it gets, you know, the competition is, is really tight at that point. But yeah, there's certain breakpoints like any business, I'm sure like yours as well, where kind of once you get there, it's kind of a new set of problems, if you will, a new set of challenges and things to overcome. And that's why that reality exists, too, because now you're starting to really have an organization and you need structure to continue to be able to scale.
1: Yeah. And I don't know any teenagers that are interested to get into insurance. What was your original plan to go to school? What were you planning to do originally?
0: Yes. Yeah, so my uh, <laughs> that's a good question. My ideal job This is a little crazy, but um, I was a marketing major and that was on purpose. That was very designed i i enjoy people and i enjoy creativity and um there's a movie it's like an old mel gibson movie called what women want i believe it's called Mm -hmm. and he is a some sort of advertising executive in new york city you know i I remember he wore like a black v-neck sweater with black pants like real simple real creative all that that was like my dream job yeah an advertising exec in new york and like working with nike and all that kind of stuff um So went to school for marketing, really enjoyed that, Um, got into sales post-college, you know, like everybody kind of figure out a few things along the way and take a job or two, maybe a little bit off track and things like that. But sales is what I really enjoyed and then got into a sales role with an insurance company and that had me in the, you know, on the road all the time meeting all these Great insurance agencies across the country, uh, mostly across the mid-Atlantic. It was Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, Maryland, and a little bit of Virginia. And I just got to really see and be exposed to an industry that I loved. It's you serve your community, um, you are uh, you know in, involved in your town, you're intimately engaged with clients and what's really kind of making them tick and everything like that. So it's, I uh, saw it as a unique industry that rewards genuine relationship. And that was very attractive to me because that's something that's been important my whole life. And um, to find a field that rewards that, you know, and kind of aligns with natural gifts and talents, but also natural passions. Uh, I've just been so thankful for it. And I wish, I wish insurance was more on the radar for people. It's funny. You do hear, you watch shows and people will talk about, like it, it is kind of, it's on the radar but it's not necessarily, it's not a role that someone thinks about, I want to do that when I grow up. It hasn't hit that. It's not a police officer or something like, you know, th- things that kids will say. But it's a, I view it as a very noble career and profession um, that's very, very important. And um, so I wish more people knew about it. And, I, and we are, as a firm, trying to do something about that, trying to up our game and image and PR. to make it and, cool. Yeah. Like, I want to keep it, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to oversell it ever to anybody because it's a lot of hard work and you have to be very technical. Um, but at the same time, it's a very rewarding industry to be in. Yeah.
1: So what what made the shift from enjoying working in sales and insurance to
0: I should own my own agency? That's a great question. Um, I think for me, it was getting to see the way numerous different agencies operated. I got to see very large, very well-run firms. I got to see large and seemingly not well, you know, but I also saw that, I saw small and well-run. I small, saw small and not great. Not. So I got a lot of perspective on it. And then to be totally honest, I would go to conventions and different things like that. And I did see a um, an aging demographic. And so I started looking into that and I just saw the opportunity that existed because of that reality it was an industry and it's still kind of an issue within the industry of needing more young people and talent development like anything you know finding the right team members is everything and um so while it was a challenge for the industry I've always seen challenges as opportunities I don't know how else to say that I saw the challenge and then I saw the insane opportunity that existed within that challenge but then we also have the responsibility of being actively engaged in fixing that challenge as well. And so that's what we're doing now.
1: So did you have like any mentors or anyone that helped you on the entrepreneur side of this? Because marketing to owning a business is kind of a jump.
0: Yeah, it was a big jump. And they always say like the entrepreneur <laughs> is you you the the blessing of being an entrepreneur is that you don't know how hard it's gonna be. You you see the you you see the the one way it will work, you don't necessarily see the the ten ways it's not going to work. Hmm. And to this day, that's a quote I have on my wall in my office. I, I said, I you know I don't need easy, I just need possible. Um, and from a mentorship side, absolutely yes, in so many different ways. But I had, I to this day, I have four people that I meet with quarterly, personal mentors, and they come from different walks of life, different perspectives on things. But that. They are they are business owners, and that is the the, the red thread that connects them all, if you will. Um, and within the industry, absolutely, I had mentors as well. Uh, I talked about them before in, in another setting, but Tom Kolanowski was a gentleman that I worked with, and we still work together in this de- to this day in one form or fashion. But just saw that he was able to have great success while staying very close to his like personal values and, and core principles and everything. And we have similar core values. And just to be able to see him operate like that and see him have the long-term success uh, that he's had, he was someone that I naturally gravitated toward when it came to asking questions. What do you think about this? Um, going out on your own, we kind of did that at a similar time. So we were kind of in that journey together, which was very cool. Um, But he was instrumental in that. But there's several other others along the way that, as I just, it it was all it was all anybody that mentored me. My desire to be mentored by them was a compliment to how they operated. It was this is a person of high character, high work ethic, um, doing the right things for the right reasons. Certain things that I grew up with principles of just. Like kind of that slow and steady wins the race. If you take care of the little stuff, the big stuff's going to handle itself. I saw saw that coming to life in these people. And so I would just lean in naturally with them. And then they were kind enough to give me the time of day. Um, And that's one thing specifically with Tom that I always remember. You know, when I was brand new in the business, calling on him, basically trying to sell insurance to his agency that they would then turn and represent to the marketplace. You know, brand new, fresh face, like... And he was kind and respectful, you know, to the effort that was going in to try and get in front of them. And that always stood out to me. You know, um, that was the foundation of the relationship, if you will. Like, this guy's, this guy probably remembers what it was like to be new and starting out. And he's respectfully listening, whether <laughs> whether he is interested or not. And I just, you know, that's appreciative. And that's something I try and emulate going forward. It's really important to me. Uh, Especially as our firm grows, I think it comes with a lot of responsibility to be that for others, um, for the next generation, for our industry and things like that. So I try and serve our team, our community and our industry as much as possible. So I'm just wondering, as you're starting off on this new business
2: journey going into insurance and you're reflecting on your experience from the past, you mentioned there are some businesses that you saw run poorly, some, some were running really well. Was there anything in the beginning that you knew you wanted to implement in your business,
0: or perhaps anything that you wanted to stay away from? Right out of the gate, I would say the the two things that come to mind are, in our 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 craft is very much rely it relies on trust, and it's a unique product. Like if you spend fifty thousand dollars on your insurance, you basically get a You know, a PDF file kind of thing with with policies that you hope do the right thing when it comes time. So, what I did see, I would say, is sometimes it could be maybe too relational where someone just relied on relationship and then didn't hone the technical expertise. That was something that stood out to me from the very beginning. I knew what we wanted, we are very relational just as people and our culture and everything. But a commitment to the technical expertise because it's the right thing to do so that when it goes down or hits the proverbial fan, you can be there for your client in a, in a correct way because that is, that's that's part of the nuance and, and, you know, some people might say strange thing about our industry is that you, d- the client doesn't know, if- <clears throat> pardon me, the client doesn't know if you did a good job until it's too late to fix it if it was wrong.
2: So are you saying some insurance companies don't have the technical expertise? They're just kind of selling you something? And
0: uh, I wouldn't want to say it like that just because there's a lot of really good firms out there, but I saw some of that, yes, um, where it was like, hey, we're in this community and maybe we're going to rely on, on that and that we've been around forever and not necessarily, yes, we've been around forever, but that's a foundation we need to build on and make sure we are continuing to evolve in the way we serve clients, but also in our technical expertise absolutely yeah
1: so you have a business partner um how did you and josh get connected excuse me and how did you guys decide to
0: what made you want to work with him as a partner so how do we get connected is uh, a fantastic story we met at in uh the chicago o'hare airport ironically uh interviewing for the same job so (laughs) um We were sitting there uh, watching a Phillies game, I believe it was. Something good happened. Somebody made like a, you know, maybe they cheered to themselves quietly a little bit under their breath, but it was enough to engage and, and hear. And so we're sitting watching the same screen, like, oh my goodness, are you a Phillies fan? Yeah, me too, where are you from? Oh, outside of Philly, me too, that's great. What are you doing in Chicago? You know, natural flow of conversation. I'm here for a job interview. Get out of here, I just interviewed for a job. What is it? Oh, an insurance carrier. Wait a minute. I just interviewed with the shirt and scare like, and then, you know, as we as we unwound it, we realized we literally were flown in to interview for the same job. So it's kind of funny when we left that we were like, Well, uh, great meeting you, good luck, I guess, you know, like you seem like were a good both guy. From- Philly area. He's from he was from Lansdale at the time and then I was from I was in Westchester. And uh, so I, I ironically what they ended up doing is changing the territory and cutting it a little bit differently, and they hired both of us so so basically that's how we met but we were from day one rowing in the same direction with a common purpose you know and that hasn't changed and so when i made the decision to go you know that was that was a scary thing like that's when when you launch like that that's that can be scary and he had stayed with the company and moved into sales management and everything like that so, when I was kind of just limping along, I would always be in his ear, you know, calling him every, I don't know, 90 days or so, going, come on, man, we can do this, we can do this. Uh, and then one day, he called and he said, I'm in. And, th- and that so was So, did you that. start the company
2: first, before he was involved? Mm-hmm. And then you brought him in?
0: Yep, yep. Started in my basement, just like by myself, kind of thing. Okay. Um, but it was, when he came on, that's when we really started to w- build an organization. That was the, that was, he and I laid the, framework together for the for the business that element is today now what
2: did he have that you felt like you needed in your business
0: so um there is a book out called traction gino wickman that nails it for us and we used to talk when we were younger or whatever uh we used to the analogy we always used was my role was to make sure there's gas in the tank his role was to make sure the um the engine runs well that was the analogy we always talked about. I would dare say he can. He's a great. He he could be out in the field doing gas too. I don't. On the flip side, I could not do the operational. That would eat me alive, honestly. Um, all day, every day. There's certain things I we try and compliment each other and not just be like, hey, that's your job, not my job. It's not like that. But when you say like our main focus, the whole 80-20 thing, 80% of my role is you know on the grow side, 80% of his role. Is on the make sure it runs well side. So, but in traction, they talk about um, visionary and implementer, and that's been kind of new words that we've applied to the same thing. My role tends to be on the visionary side, and his role tends to be on the on the implementation side. Yeah. So it's like if you're going to, you guys are partners. Like if if you're going to do something with a partner, just like in any capacity in life, you. The temptation could be to find somebody who thinks like you, gifts like you, all that kind of stuff, because maybe that would be easier, you know. Just and but the reality is you want some someone complementary that's going to fill the areas where you're weak and vice versa. And yeah, that might lead to times where you view things differently, but that's the point, you know. That's why you do it. And so I would not want to um, to. To walk this road alone, quite honestly, and the and the thing I think that's very relatable is go somewhere awesome and go there by yourself. It is not the same. It is shared experience is really important, and so I think not only with a business partner, not only do you get the different perspective, different gifts and talents, but then you also get the other really cool side of the shared experience of it. You know, you you know, we were talking before before this interview and. You know, it's been 15 years that you guys have gotten this. Shit. That's a lot of life experience. That's a lot of business experience, and it, and it goes well beyond business. You you're having kids, like you know, and all those things, and uh, that that adds a lot of dimension to the journey for me. Yeah, it's a, a huge part of life running
1: a, a business,
2: a partner. <coughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what what was the process for starting the agency? Like, was there funding involved? Is there a lot of regulation and stuff you have to work around? What what does that look like
0: for us? There's definitely regulatory. It's a regulatory environment for sure, and that just creates the framework we have to work within. It doesn't. I don't see that as like a massive barrier to entry or anything like that. There's licensing and there's things like that, but we did not go out and raise funding. We did. We used to joke like bubblegum gum and duct tape. Man, we just figured it out. Uh, We did not take salaries for three years. We, um, at one point, we were, you know, I guess you call it like side hustling, but like sharing in that income (laughs) just to make ends meet because we both, when I started, my oldest was two and we had a second one on the way. We have three now. Both of our kids are very similar in age, so similar boat for them. And uh, so you got to do what you got to do to survive without question, but um We did not, (laughs) we always used to say we bet bet on ourselves. So we didn't go out and get a ton of funding right away and take on equity. We didn't do any of that. Um, And am I thankful for that? I don't know what I, like if I were to recommend something to someone, I, I don't, I think I would recommend bootstrapping, you know, when you can. So how'd you get your money?
2: Like, how'd you survive?
0: So we did, so literally, so one of the things, I'm sure this will come up at some point, but we have acquired 23 agencies, right? So that's been a big part of our growth strategy. The very first one, literally, we made a list of friends and family. And if somebody said we did everything with debt, um, if somebody said they would give us $5,000, we're like, sweet, we'll put you down for five. And we had to raise like half a million dollars, you know? So that's why when I say bubble gum and duct tape, that's what it was. And uh, I always think of my cousin because he was in m- med school at the time. So I had him on there. I'm like, oh, he's going to be a doctor. Maybe he'll want to do something or have the means to do something. And he was like, but I'm in med school. I'm not a doctor yet. But he did $10,000. Uh, and I just so appreciate that. That was almost like a, we. I believe in you. Like, sure, I'm, I'll support you in this journey. And that's the way most of our debt was raised in the beginning. And then, just like anything, as you start to establish credibility and rapport, like something I'm very proud of is we've never missed a payment to anyone uh, in that entire journey, and we knew the responsibility of what we're getting into. So let's say it came down to it. We didn't get paid, not our, not the people who put out for us, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but we knew that. Like, that's what we signed up for, and we were happy to do it. And, like, you, you, a core value for both of us is... Fairness and simply doing what you said you were going to do so um, That's how we raised it, but that did build credibility over the years and people who initially Gave us funds via a debt structure just like you were paying off any kind of loan They wanted to do more of that because they saw it as very consistent almost like annuity income is the way they began to view it Um, and we've we had original debt investors say to other people hey these guys are great it's kind of like mailbox money for me if that's what you're looking for you should talk to them and so then we bu- we built a pool of people who wanted to do that and then from there we engaged um, eventually we got enough I guess credibility or whatever um, and we're also fiscally pretty conservative so bank you know we have a very good banking relationship now And um, what kind of returns were you paying out on this debt? Uh, initially we were doing 8% on a 10-year amortization, but then also, too, we, the interest rate market has fluctuated so much, so then it went down, you know, if you think about what happened with interest rates over the last, you know, 15 years-ish, um, it went down to, it got as low as 5%, 5%. at one point I think somebody did, um, a a large amount at 4%, but on that 10-year am, that was some amortization, that was something, we didn't want to go into, even if somebody would say, hey, you could pay me back over for 20 years, we weren't interested in that. We wanted to make sure we were doing building a business that was sustainable and bankable so that we could scale. For us, since day one, our vision has remained the same. Um, and that's to be a $50 million revenue, super regional, privately held, independent insurance agency that is actively engaged in our communities that we serve. And that hasn't changed. So we needed to build on a structure that would scale to that could scale to that reality, and that included what, what we did with financing.
1: And I wanted to ask about that, the business structure itself. Did
0: with you guys? Did Josh have a business background? Uh, no. Well, when we always joke when when we met, I was selling uh, to the government actually a technology solution, which is hilarious because I don't I'm not that tech savvy, um, and Josh was selling bricks. So, no, neither of us. I I think we both.
1: How did you guys go about mapping a strategy towards that
0: $50 $50 billion goal? For us, the strategy, for me, anyway, the vision for that just came from what I saw. I knew it was possible. And the thing I always have talked about and thought is somebody's going to do it. Why couldn't it be us? You know, in in all those amazing people that I met and uh, the different mentors and things like that, none of them were Albert Einstein or Thomas Edison, or they were normal people who were committed to a craft that were diligent for a long period of time. And so that is something that it's totally possible for us, you know, um, and so that was the vision. And then we worked backwards from there. Like I can remember, we always joke about it. We had one of those like four in one printers when we started and Josh always jokes like I'd still have that four-in-one printer, if it were up to me, you know, because, but his thing even back then was, that doesn't scale. If we have several offices all around, you know, you can't be using these old printers. Like we need real, we we basically had industrial capabilities when we were smaller, you know, and that kind of thing. Our phone system, when we bought our phone system, when we had three people was, could this handle if we're 300 people someday? That was a question we asked, and what does it look like from a pricing standpoint? and so the framework was there, but we didn't necessarily say, oh, yep, there's the business plan, there's your... We, but today, we do have a business plan called the Path 250. We have our entire org chart laid out for what it, our organization looks like at a $50 million revenue firm. It's just, there are multiple people's names in multiple seats. And so that, it's actually been nice because as we grow and develop talent internally and externally, we're able to look at that map, if you will, and say, this person would be great in that seat, or mm. this person is awesome, but they're in the wrong seat. Their gifts and talents line up over here instead of there. And so that's been really helpful. That, we probably should have done that early on, and we didn't, we were a little bit building the, whatever, building the plane as we flew it, you know? But then eventually a um, friend and mentor to us said, you need to you need to pause for a minute here, and you need to just like if you were building a house you need an architect, right? You need to map out what what exactly is the house you're trying to build, and we could communicate it clearly, but we didn't have it in writing or in an organizational structure, so then we worked backwards because we we could see the house we were building here, but we needed to put it down on paper so
1: mm-hmm. yeah, we've been doing yeah. a similar thing with an org chart where all the different hats in your business map who's wearing them yeah. How you want to break those out as you can afford to do it, how to get to the revenue you need to break it out. Yes. it's so helpful just to see the end goal. You can strategize to get to it, so that
0: that's cool to hear. When did you guys implement that? We, I, I would say that journey started about three years ago when we really started to scale, because you could feel as the as as more acquisitions were happening and all of that, um, you could feel the lack of structure. I would say is how I would put it, and so we needed to make some hires that were or move some team members into different roles that became like structural I-beams in the, in the in the structure itself you know in order to if it was a building right like you can build three or four stories with stick frame construction but then past that it needs to be built on different foundation and so that's what we were starting to feel like hey we're, we're growing but we need to go back and make sure that the, the ground floors are they need to be steel now you know mm-hmm. stick built isn't going to fly for where we're going um and so that took some time and there were some hard moves in that too you know uh that is not easy work but it was important I'm glad we did it we have a really good team in place that I believe is that foundation for the future basically what what year did you guys incorporate i want to say 2009 was the incorporation date um but it wasn't it wasn't going until what's to 2014 so what's 14 years ago or 2023 14 years so yeah so it's around that time yeah um we've been at it for a little while
1: was it always element risk management was that the original brand like what was your i guess you were on the branding side of things
0: yeah so yeah because just starting so honestly where element comes from there's two things is from the beginning I saw the opportunity to acquire and I loved the if you think about it an element is the The element are the small pieces that make up the bigger picture, right? You know, that's the whole point. And that's always from the beginning what I saw us to be is like, we will be a great team made up of good individuals. We will be a great company made up of good locations with good individuals, like that kind of thing. So, and how it all comes together. I love that. But then also too, I don't know if you guys remember this, there was a skate brand called Element Mm -hmm. that I also loved and had a ton of their gear and all that jazz. So... I'm sure that was in the, in the mind's eye you know as well um, and yeah that was that was a big part of it but it was Element Financial Group when we started because what I saw was a lot of professionals not working cohesively for the benefit of the client so on when we started I, I still have the piece of paper it's like basically picture a um, you know a conference table with the client at the head of it and you have an attorney you know and and a real estate person and an insurance agent and a uh, estate planner and a financial planner and it seemed like there was everyone would give the answer from their lens which is normal right but if someone's trying to holistically map things out and approach the long-term protection of assets their family members all that kind of stuff and really have a kind of a master plan for their life, just like we talked about having one for your business, that there would be disharmony in that that trusted advisor circle because they didn't know and trust each other, you know? And, and so there wasn't that open communication where an accountant could say, hey, from a tax perspective, this is the right move, but from a risk perspective, it's not. You're opening yourself up to risk. So which do you want? I wanted those kind of open conversations. And for me strategic planning, holistic strategic planning about the tangibles and the intangibles of, well, why is this more important to you to that? We're so important that at the beginning, the financial group concept was that like eventually Element would have all those seats at the table and they would just be a division of the company. Over time we've realized the power of focus, so don't get me wrong, um, and we're not trying to be all those things, but we do have health and benefits division. We do have a financial services division. So we do have some of that, but like we don't have our own law firm or something like that. But we really try and seek trusted relationships where there's a lot of communication between the advisors for the benefit of our clients. That's really important to us. Like how does it all fit together?
1: So when did the brand evolve into risk management?
0: As we began to focus, on our core competencies, I would say it was insurance because that's the world we came from. But I didn't want to be viewed as the Geico's of, you know, like, give me 15 minutes and I'll save you 20%. Like, that is not us. Ours is, oh my goodness, in 15 minutes, how we haven't even scratched the surface. And so we wanted to differentiate ourselves with that. And risk management is a professional... Uh, Way to set a tone right out of the game versus calling ourselves Element Insurance like that was highly thought about. That was a very measured decision because we know that. What does risk management mean? To you know what I mean? That that's going to be a question too, um, and that that's a wonderful question because then we get in a chance right away. It's holistic. It's all, it's all these things, um, <clears throat> and it applies to everything. Like we always say, we can't insure what we don't understand. Mm-hmm. So mutual understanding about a what is and b what's intangibly important to you what keeps you up at night what you know everyone has a different risk profile and then what I love about it is we also get to talk about with under risk management the things that you don't get to talk about in insurance and what I mean by that is literally had conversations with clients about my the biggest risk I perceive based on our conversation is you not taking action on this opportunity could be an it could be an upside risk or a downside risk like if, if your business doesn't evolve you're going to be out of business in five years that's a risk there's no insurance policy for that but that is a risk that has to be talked about um you have a talented individual like we had we had a client that their biggest risk was the son of the owner leaving the business and there was massive interpersonal relational dynamics Between the father and the son, the son wanted out. But that was going to kill the business if the son left. Like, we knew. It was very obvious. So the father wanted to talk only about the building burning down. And I literally was like, time out. Why are we talking about this? There's a .08% chance that that happens. Your son is telling us that he's six months away from going to your biggest competitor because the way you treat him in public settings within the organization. We need to talk about that. It's uncomfortable, but we need to talk about it. If, so we're, if we're being real
2: if there's no insurance policy for that kind of a thing, then what does your company do to to
0: solve problems like that talk so if, if it's a if it's an area where we have some level of expertise we'll talk through it you know and just kind of map it out sometimes it's almost it, it gets consultative from that regard but there are times where you need to bring in a professional <clears throat> and in that particular scenario we brought <clears throat> I apologize. We brought in a um, a group that basically was a family business consultant. Um, I would dare say there was some counseling involved in that, but they were a, specifically a consulting firm for family businesses that were having family issues that were affecting the business. And it's funny because you look back in your life and how things weave together. That company is who I worked for right out of college during an internship down at Wharton. So they were connected to Wharton and they were working with families that were like the HERS, the Hershey's, you know, the Purdue's. Those, those are big family businesses where you could have a thousand people laid off because Aunt Sally and Uncle Billy haven't gotten along since they were kids. And now they run two different divisions within the organization and they're having old school family challenges but it's affecting a massive organization. And that was a, I'm so thankful for that time and that experience, but it also applies to a lot of our clients too, those are dynamics. So we we call it page six on our intake sheet. We have a lot of intangible questions, and oftentimes if a client's not willing to go there with us, it might not be the right client for us. Because we we can't, other than pricing, where can we add, we wanna be able to add value, you know? And that those page six things were able to add tremendous amounts of value that the client really doesn't pay for. It's no more expensive to work with us than placing your insurance somewhere else.
2: I was going to say, that sounds very valuable
0: <clears throat> to, the,
2: to the client, but is that something that's profitable to your business? Do you like charge for those things, or is that kind of like pro bono?
0: Uh, there are times where it will um, kind of mushroom out to something that does have to be a, a fee for additional services that went well beyond. The, but normally, no. Normally, I, you know, does it, is it profitable for our businesses? That's a good question. Um, I would say in the long term, at 100%. Because it leads to a trusting relationship and ultimately that is. So it's like more like an investment in the relationship more than
2: it is like we're going to make money on the counseling services or Uh, something. Yeah,
0: no, that's. Or on the conversations. Yeah, right. And then whenever we do bring in a professional, we don't like get something free from the, you know, we don't, that professional doesn't like pay us around the back door, nothing like that. We're fully disclosed and all that. But like your, your business would be a great example. There are times where people need to put themselves out there more. Like you're, you're the best company that no one's ever heard of. Right. And so there's a time and place where they can shoot, um, on their iPhone and do little, a, a snippet for Instagram or whatever. But there's also a time and place where they might need a real content branding strategy, that is going to be evergreen video solutions for them, and that's where you bring in Edge of Cinema, right? Like, there's a time and place for the. It's like tools. I I view it as tools. And so we sometimes will say, yeah, we have the tools for that, and we can just that'll be just a part of doing business with Element. There's other times where it's like, hey, this uh this is this is heavy construction. We don't have, <laughs> you know, we have a hammer. We don't have a jackhammer. So we got to bring in the pros, and we're totally happy to do that.
1: Yeah, so while we're on the marketing vein of things, what has your guys' marketing strategy been to, I know you do a lot of M&A stuff, and I want to get into that in a little bit, but mm-hmm. for actually building your clientele base with your agents that are already in the house, what has been the marketing strategy, and has it evolved as you've grown?
0: Yes, I would. Uh, it's definitely evolved, that's for sure. But I would say with for new or existing clients, which would you... I'd say for new. For new. So for new um, specialization, that's our our number one thing is we, it, it's actually a misnomer. You know that quote, uh, Jack of all trades, and how it ha- typically has a negative connotation to being broad. If you actually look at that quote, it, it's it's saying that being broad is a good thing. Like, so I always want to point that out. But when people think of Jack of all trades, they think of master of none. So, you, so look up the whole quote. I would tell people, first of all, there's, there's value in having diversity of experience. However, for us, we try and be very targeted. So people in our advisory department have a specialty. So we use basically a hub-and-spoke model. Like, for example, we have an agricultural department. The, the main core reality of that is, is obviously ag and, and farms and everything that goes, but we define it the spokes, are the things that go to the farms and on one side, and on the other side, the things that come from farms. So, for example, in our ag division, you might have a feed mill that's bringing feed to the farms, right? And then on the flip side, you might have um, a cheesemonger, right? So they they're, they have a goat farm, and now the, the cheese and the products liability that goes with, now you're sending products into the marketplace. That can all fit under ag, but that is our from a marketing standpoint, we are involved in those industries. We are sending targeted communications about ag to our ag potential clients. We also do it, we try and continue to add value even after someone's a client obviously, so we do that as well, but it might be a different tone or something along those lines. So that is our our number one thing, is knowing who you're talking to, being competent and technical in that arena, and then communicating that in a way that adds value to the client. That's been a big thing for us. It's not just like, hey, please, farm ABC, can we write your, mm-mm. It's we are in it for the long term. This is a long game. How can we add value? What are some things that would be helpful to you? And sure, without question, if if there's a, if there's something in the insurance world that's not how you want it, we would love for you to speak with us, obviously. And we will ask from time to time. But we're not going to just pound 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 you know and i think maybe that comes from the ability of having some momentum and not having to you know when you're starting out and you have to survive like <laughs> it's a survive time you know you got to do a you know where we're able to take a little bit of a longer view at this point
2: even in our marketing so uh what marketing tactics are you using to to reach these
0: groups of people like so what we'll do is once once we define and if if it works for you guys i'll talk it through the lens of one of our advisors right sure so the first thing that we would do is define we look at their skill set and their network right so if they grew up we have a gentleman right now um he you know has a background a family background with trucking and transportation diesel mechanics and things like that so he can talk shop in the world of transportation so that's really important to us because you know I think that cliche is like people don't know how much you, or don't care how much you know till they know how much you care that kind of thing. I think in a business setting, people want to know that you know their world if you're trying to protect it. If you've never if you've never been in a diesel shop, how do you know how that's any different than the auto mechanic down the road and things like that? You know mm-hmm. the equipment's much larger, the you know just a different dynamic. Um, so that is first and foremost. So we, we map that out and then does this align with your your knowledge base? Then from there, um, we will define who is our target market within that space and say, like we use a tool called Zywave and they will have, you can break things down by how close are they, how many employees do they have? We're able to see if they're having bad work comp experience, you know, like it, it, employees are getting injured. I love that stuff because you know, the devil's in the details of that. If, if you have a lot of employees getting injured, like, okay, let's pause on that for a minute. Go a step lower. Who is it? When is it? So is it like a third shift maybe? So are people tired and that exhaustion is what's leading to more injury on that shift? Is it team members who are newer, which then that probably might lead to a training issue? You know, like, so data is one thing, but what does the data mean and being able, able to Uh, extrapolate actionable steps that would theoretically give better results based on that data is that's good work like i really enjoy that so you could target people that are just having challenges in those areas based on the tools that we have so like demographic
2: data or how yeah how does it know that kind of specific detail
0: so there's something called a, uh, a mod a work comp mod and it's basically a rating system based on the experience that you're having so one would be Hey, for your industry, neutral, just about right. If you're a 0.8, let's say, means hey, you probably probably you're either really lucky or really buttoned up. You got good processes, good procedures. Your team follows them. You know, safe environment, all that kind of stuff. And then let's say it's a 1.7 and getting worse. You know, you're something's awry and getting worse. There's there's mods out there that are, you know, a three and and really because really hard things have happened and people have lost lives and things like that and one thing for us in that in that desire to add value is also you can't Monday morning quarterback everything either you know they might be with a great agency currently and things do happen that's why insurance exists so you need to tactfully walk that balance between being like a wet blanket or being like oh well we would have done it like this and that would have never happened like that's what you want to do is just Look at it and try and um, you know, just look for it as much as you can and anticipate things as much as you can, but also know like the best plan is gonna go awry. That's that Mike Tyson, like everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth, right? (laughs) So you have all these safety things in place, and when someone slides off (coughs) the roof that's three stories up because of a tree branch that fell and knocked off their safety. Like, nobody could plan for that. You know what I mean? There's still things that happen. But um, we are able to see that data yes and so we do so that software uh yes Zygot, zy wave zy wave yes so you
2: got this software that that kind of targets in on who you want to go after yes and then how do you make the introduction
0: so from there i would say it's it's old school right so if you have if you have emails great you want to start maybe a drip campaign of adding value of like here's what's going on in your industry um here's some things to look for look forward to or or here's something that happened. How did you weather that storm? That kind of thing. But then additionally, too, I mean, we make phone calls. We will stop in and say hello to people. Um, they, you know, We definitely go old school like that. And my most practical thing for our team of advisors is, have you ever heard about the 80% of sales rule yeah. and how they happen on the 5th to 12th contact? Persistence is the name of the game. And being there, I think it's even more important in our industry because... In our industry, the foundation is that, are you going to be there for me when I need you?
2: Wait, say that rule again, because I might have been thinking of a different 80% rule.
0: So were you thinking 80-20? Yeah, like like
2: it comes from your existing business.
0: Yeah, no. So there is a stat out there that you can look up about 80% of sales will happen on, I think it might even be 90, but on the 5th to 12th contact, that's what it is. It's 80% of sales happen there. 90% of people don't follow up more than three times and to be totally honest if mm-hmm. anybody's listening to this if you want to get in and be a vendor at Element that's that's like filter number 1. I will purposely on purpose not follow up with anybody until they've reached out at least 3 times if they're trying to sell us something because I I want to know that this is a person who if this product is good and we implement it if something goes down they're going to be there. They're persistent. They're they're you know, those kinds so 80% of
2: 80% of people will wait to to buy something until you've contacted them between five and 11, 12 times five and 12 times. Yeah,
0: they won't. Wow. Not everybody does that strategically. That's right. just the stats of just what it average. takes. Yeah. And so if you think about it operationally, if that's where all the sales are happening, and that's only where 10% of the people are operating on the sales side of the business you are now fishing in much different water you are giving your organization a extreme advantage over time by your your you've eliminated 90% of your competition if you will and and you're playing in a world where 80% of the decisions are made that's good stuff yeah we've always
1: like follow up till they tell you to stop yeah, kind oh my thing, goodness, yeah. You know, like, oh,
0: yeah, on my, like, 11th voicemail to somebody, <laughs> it'll be like, listen, I promise, it's me again, I promise, if you call me back and say to never call, I will honor that, like, I'm not, but until we just, shoot me an email, Here, here's my cell number, just text me that, text me, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but until that, I'll just take it as, like, hey, keep trying, maybe the time will be right, you know.
2: So then, uh, what do you think is the right frequency, like, how often do you follow up, so you don't get annoying?
0: Yeah, I... I think there's a there's an art and a there's an art to that and a science to that. I don't know what the science would say, but I would say the art is I view it like a like an ember. I don't know if you've ever tried to start a, like a campfire like with friction. Like once you get that little ember, it's a different experience now. You're trying to blow on it enough to not put it out, but blow on it enough to keep it hot. And I view that is the kind of the same thing because if you get that part right, boom, you got a flame, you know, and now you're cooking. Um, so I don't know that I have like a really black and white, good answer for that, but I think the right person knows when to lean in and when to say enough. Like if we push too hard right now, we're going to burn this bridge. We'll never get to work with them. And so I would, I would say tactful persistence, but you need to be able to read a room when someone's like, Hey, I'm really busy right now. Can we follow up in the new year? Absolutely. No problem. Thanks for letting me know new year's better for you. And then you do follow up in the new year and now you build credibility because you did what you said you were going to do and you respected the fact that now really wasn't the right time. And that is, yeah, I'm not just like persistent for persistence sake, you know. Um, I really want to know, like I want to meet somebody when they have a real need that we can solve well at the right time. And that's something I'll say a lot is like the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. So I'd rather build this these, the, you know, make a deposit in our future relationship bank account, if you will, of trust to say, okay, like I, uh, you know, we'll, we'll follow up when it's right. Yeah. So you had a sales background and I got
1: to imagine like 90% of your employees are salespeople. Do you guys have like an overarching sales strategy that you kind of train into them or what's like the p- sales process
0: for the agency as a whole? So it's funny you say that because we are woefully short Um, if you think about in our industry, you know, you're not, you don't, yes, it's long term relationships and all that, but just life is happening. You know, someone could pass away, a business could be sold. Um, so you naturally don't work with every single client. You might work with like 95% of them, but at the size and scale that we are now, we have about half of the sales team that we should have just to, just to kind of break even, if you will uh, to replace that uh, 5% attrition, you know, 5% of a big number is a big number. Um, and so that's, that's like one of our main focuses right now. We have two new team members starting, you know, in in two weeks. Um, but yeah, we definitely have a process for them and kind of the weird analogy I would give you is from a parental standpoint, my dad's ex-military my mom's like a ex-hippie, like a real, like Traveling with the Grateful Dead, you know, like, all right, like for real. And so I feel like that's kind of our approach. On the surface, I would like it to look very easygoing and very natural. Behind the scenes, though, I think it should be based on a rigorous, detailed, disciplined, consistent approach. So it's kind of like behind the scenes, it's military. On the surface, it's hippie, if you will. You know, like, yeah, those guys are just great. It'd be fun to go get a beer with them, with him or her. Um, but then the things we, the discipline is, is where we can, you know, basically keep our word to people and do the things we said we were going to do and cover them correctly and all this. Thing. What's
1: been your process to create that militaristic strategy for the sales team?
0: I would say just defining it. I always, it's something that you'll hear in our organizational lives. It's easier to critique than create. So, you know, a goofy analogy we'll talk about is it should be rep- Anything you're doing should be a recipe. You should be able to say, this is how that happened in following the bouncing ball. This, then this, then this, then this, right? Um, If you can't define it, you can't critique it. You can't know what's working. You can't know what's not working. So we'll talk about something as simple as if you were baking a pie. If you don't know how you did it and what ingredients you put in and when you put them in and it comes out and it's the best pie in the world, that's horrible because you can never make it again. You can't, you know what I mean? If you were trying to start a pie business, you can't do it. You, you don't know how you got there in the first place. On the flip side, if you make it and you're like, hey, this thing's too salty, you can go back to the recipe and say, I put in X amount of salt. Let's try half. Oh, next time, still a little too salty. All right, what's half of that? You can adjust something that is written out and defined. And so what what's very important to us being entrepreneurial and having started and everything like that is we want... Our advisory team, you know, really all of our team, to be able to uh, craft a life that is, is as they design it, you know. So same kind of thing. Like as an individual, they get to say what what's the house I'm trying to build, what's my blueprint, and then we work backwards from that. If those are the results you want, this is the work that needs to be done to get those results. And then if it's working, keep it going. If it's not, we adjust. But I always say like hey don't be upset at the results you didn't get from the work you didn't do. That's not that's not fair to anybody.
2: So with this recipe idea, are you talking about like standard operating procedures for roles or like are you writing all those out in in documents and yes, things like that?
0: Yes. 100% every role um we try and have every process have uh, and what we always talk about is like we don't want to be we don't want to come off as corporate or anything like that, you know? So what we always say is the element way, quote unquote, is just the best way we know it to be now. If you have a better idea and it's real and it is better, that will be that will be implemented into the process. You know, if if we go from step 3 to 4 or 5 and you're like, "Hey, between 3 and 4, this should happen." And it's right, that'll that'll we'll redo it. So it's an ever evolving reality. And then we also always say too, like that should be the skeleton. Put your own skin on it. Put your own flavor on it. But that's the bones are the same. But but be an individual in in the process, um, and and add your flavor to this. Um, so do you have like checklists for your people to follow,
2: like to go down these steps?
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in an ev- but but they're always evolving. But yes. So we have like a keeper of the standard operating procedure, so that we can always know this is the because you got to watch that as you scale as a business. If it gets further and further away from you, you could have a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, and next thing you know, you can't even read it kind of thing. It's whispered down the lane functionally, operationally. So you got to make sure, hey, this is the current version, and everyone's on the same page. And that is just a challenge of running the business at scale.
2: Whose job is that? So like to write those and, and manage it. So
0: on the sales side, it's just going back to the beginning. On the sales side, it's mine. On the operation side, it's Josh's. And then we have division leads and team leads and product leads and all that. So they um, carry that torch within their reporting structure.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I want to get into the mergers and acquisition stuff now. So what is your guys' overall strategy with selecting and identifying a firm you think would be worth incorporating? And what is like the theory behind acquiring versus just bringing people in and training them to
0: yeah yeah be mercenaries very very good question (laughs) um i like that be mercenaries um so for us it's a lot of people see that reality as either or like do we grow organically or do we acquire and to be totally honest that has never made sense to me i it's like i why does it need to be a choice you can do both things well um you're going to get the results from the things you focus on. And so you you should try and, I you know, our goal has always been do both well, have a sales team, but also be open to acquisition. Um, so for us, it's not, it's not one or the other. It's just what makes the most sense. And then there is just a demographic reality in our space, like a lot of agency owners. I want to say the last stat I saw was like 88%, somewhere around that number of agency owners are, are north of 62 years old. And so... These are businesses that have served their community for years, sometimes generations. And so for me, a major core value in all this was, I'm gonna grab a quick drink, excuse me. A major core in this was <clears throat> private equity was coming into space fast and heavy. And I saw them make some moves that I didn't think were good for our industry about like buy 12 agencies in a location, close them all, open up one office, way less staff, which means layoffs and things like that. And I thought, I know there needs to be a transition here for future generations. So the business continues, but that didn't seem like the right way to do it. I thought you can get the results of scale. And like, there are good things that come with scale and resources that you can bring to the table and all that. There's good stuff there, but I thought you could handle it in a more, I don't know, just a more human way. And for me, if, you know, being honest, my my dad was let go from a job that he loved in a very similar scenario, been there 18 years, uh, a family bought it, uh, they let go of lots of middle managers as they were slowly bankrupting the company. The company was a hundred-year-old organization that didn't survive uh, seven years post-acquisition. And so that's really important to me. I view acquisition as stewardship. This is something that, that has been built and a foundation has been laid and it's our job to to take care of it and then also, too, to evolve it. And I think sometimes that's a challenge for us internally because a lot of acquirers will say, hey, sell to us and nothing's going to change. And I just don't think that's true. Like, There's nothing that doesn't change. You know? Your clothes change for crying out loud in five years. Like, So we try and shoot people really straight and say, here's some of the good things about selling to us. Here's some of the challenging things. And here's what won't change and here's what will. But we want to we want to keep your team. We want to serve this community and those those things that the the things that this agency was built on. We want to keep doing, but we want to do it for a very long time into the future. So we need to be evolutionary as well. What does that transition
1: look like? Does everything every company you acquired? There's what twenty three you said?
0: Yeah, twenty three so far.
1: Does each one of those get rebranded as Element? And then you have a big transition where you have to tell all your
0: clients that hey it's same people same company yeah so eventually yes the initial intent if you think about element was call it abc insurance and element group agent that was the initial intent like we it's not about the name of the company it's about the people and you know when you as a client when you call in when you call in you still get to talk to the same team you've been talking to for the last you know 15 20 years that won't change. <clears throat> what we realized quickly though is from a marketing perspective, just from an efficiency standpoint, by the time we had done seven acquisitions, you have seven brands, mm-hmm. seven Facebook pages, seven this, seven that, and we're like, this is, the intention is good, but it's not realistic. So what we did was we, we now do rebrand them, um, but slowly, over time. It could be five years, but that, we tell, we shoot everybody really straight. If it's called, Richard's Insurance today, in five years it probably won't be, but we're going to take it really slow. So the first thing we do is we implement our logo with their name and our font. And that's kind of like round one. And then slowly we we go. And even the way we answer the phone. So it's the same, hi, Ab- thanks for calling ABC Insurance. Not, not This is, you know, Jim. Same, nothing changes. Then it would be ABC, now a member of Element. This is Jim. And then it would element formerly ABC this is Jim and then oh, the wow. element so we have a process for it we want to you take have that things all like, slow. structured
2: out in advance
0: yes yeah
2: how long in between each uh, it's like a year
0: I would say two years is probably the rolling average but we really try and listen to our team and our clients and make sure that they're comfortable throughout the process because we don't have to rush anything we just know that that's where we're going mm-hmm. and that's I think part of change management that we're trying to do better at is to know where you're going but, but slowly and smoothly get there as opposed to just quick bang, boom. hey, close close on a Monday, and ABC becomes element on a Tuesday. And we've seen people operate like that, and it's at at minimum, it's jarring to people at at you know, i don't I don't see the benefit of it at all. So, and um, for us, because of how we're motivated and what's important to us, it makes sense to take it slow anyway, because, Initially we wouldn't have even done it in the first place. Because that's not our main priority. Our main priority is taking care of and keeping things smooth and taking care of our clients. Uh,
1: What's the accounting structure like that when you bring someone in? Does are you filing all those different business returns or is it all funneled up to element as one
0: giant? Yes. So one company, we always say it's we now. Like, you know, we've had some former owners like, well, this is a ABC company client we're like no no no. (laughs) today it's an element it's all of us together right and that's how that's how we're set up operationally multiple offices can see and help each other so if we have an office in virginia that had a big massive snowstorm no problem us in harrisburg we got your back we'll take care of the clients today don't drive into the office not safe not not necessary um things like that right so it's a it starts with that we're a team and then from an accounting structure, we're able—it all rolls up to one organization, but we're able to see branch codes, so we can know where things initiated. So we can see the health of a specific place as well. Like, hey, this place has really grown a lot. That team's doing an exceptional job this year, um, or uh, we acquired this agency, and you know, uh, more more clients than expected had a had a challenge with that because they. You know, you can isolate things and see where things come from. So while we need to be efficient and run on one system, we also need to be able to see things from a segmented point of view. And that's been really important to us. But our systems are all set up to be able to do that without any problem at all. And that's to Josh's credit. I mean, he set all that up.
1: Yeah. So what, what does the onboarding process look for those people for training? Like, obviously, you're buying them because they have a well-staffed, well-run business to use yeah. your guys' line how do you take that but also get them onto your systems you know without messing up the flow of what they're doing successfully
0: yeah that is so you when you walk in the first day hopefully the previous owner has a team that he you know knows and trusts he or she and 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 she's told him already about what's coming but you can see the fear in their eyes and i i to some degree see my dad's face on their faces if you will and the first thing we'll say is it's gonna be fine. We're gonna take this slow. We're in this together. you've got a job like nobody that we're not there are, I've been a part on I've even personally been on the part of the other side where the job I had previous to starting the firm, they were acquired. And literally at a steak dinner on Christmas Eve, not Christmas Eve, but it was a Christmas time steak dinner, the CEO gets up, starts crying, and everyone's like, what is going on? And he said, we've been sold, and in the morning, you're all interviewing for your jobs. Everybody? Everybody. Whoa. And out of many, many steaks on that table, maybe a handful had one or two bites taken out of them. Everyone else was getting up, calling spouses. You know, that, it's a, that's a serious thing. You're trying to provide for your family and all. So that's, that's like A number one everybody relax it's gonna be fine jobs like all that kind of stuff um and then it's it's nice because a lot of times I'm able to tell them myself and your former owner have known each other for 15 20 years because I was calling on them way back in the day and so this is a relationship decision this is because they want to have a future for you that goes beyond themselves maybe they want to retire in a few years and they need to plan for that and then we have a very unique approach. We are the third best option for all of our sellers. The wrong seller for us is the person that's like, give me the most amount of money. I don't care what happens to this building, to this client list, to my team. I just want the most amount of money, regardless of what that means for everything else. I I walk every time. I'm like, that's not a game I wanna play. Um, that is not what we're building here, so whatever. The people we do business with, they kind of because how they're wired, they wish it was a family member or something, you know, as first option. And then they wish maybe their team could have bought it either individually or come together as a group somehow. But that's very complicated. And sometimes there's not the resources there to do that in a time efficient way. And then there's us, you know. And, And so they purposely make a decision to work with us because of what we value and that has a monetary reality to them that maybe isn't the highest dollar but it's the right value and highest value for them in doing what they need to do and planning the succession of their business and that's really important to us so we communicate that to the team and then we roll out really really slow we kind of paint a picture of where we're going and we just say we're two boats side by side until it doesn't make sense to be side-by-side side anymore, we'll be one boat going forward, but we're not going to separate until all the stuff from your boat is on ours and you know all that kind of thing. And we give them a voice immediately and say, in day one of onboarding, we say, one of the sections that we talk about is, this is a really cool opportunity to carry forward great things about your agency and maybe leave a few things behind. And so what are the things that you want to make sure we don't lose? And we have absolutely implemented many of those things company-wide across the whole organization because they're great. And then also they'll say, this is something about the reality here I don't like. And where we're able to, we'll say, well, good news. Um, you don't have to worry about that anymore. You know? So we try and it does. it's not always that clean, but that's the goal is to learn because there's always something to learn. Um, no matter how big we get, y- you can learn something from everyone. And so we we give them that, and I think that's just a very different approach. It's not like, hey, we're Element, you know, what are you gonna do to keep it so you can stick around here because we're this mm-hmm. now. Like it's not like that at all for us. Um, very team oriented, very much like how do you individually contribute, you know, and add value.
1: Yeah. So what what would you say is the most important thing for an insur an insurance agency who's trying to grow? What do you think would be like some of your
0: biggest tips for people trying to strategize growth for me, it's have a real plan. So I hear it all the time. How do you guys find your, how do you guys find other agencies to buy? Um, We've tried, and I'm going to put that in air quotes. I know people can't see that, but we've tried to do that too. And like, what does that mean? Like, is there a consistent effort that you can document and you know, who, if you want to acquire, what size you want to acquire, what, carriers you know do they have to align or not are they in your backyard or are they in another state you know it, everything should be defined if, it, if, if it's written down and measured and applied it will probably work and the same thing for growth on the organic side everybody wants to find producers and people who can develop your sales team and but what does it look like to actually pursue that is it just hey nobody has walked in my door to say, do you have a sales job in the last year? Or are you actively engaged in certain efforts that are strategically important to that effort? You know what I mean? So what is your recipe for growth? Defining it, owning it, and then doing it, I think is really, really important. Everybody wants to grow. That's like like, I wanna grow. So for everybody, it's like, how? How are you gonna be a part of your own solution? Is it written down? Even from a risk management standpoint, that's important you know for for you guys is if if you want the business to be able to succeed beyond you, you need to have systems and processes that are so in place that someone could step in and carry them on right um, and ironically it will also it would also free you as business owners to be able to get above the day to day sometimes, which would help you too like that kind of stuff so that if if you want to grow, I would just say do ask yourself in the mirror, do I have a recipe for growth? And am I constantly tweaking that recipe and doing what I promised myself I would do in pursuit of that growth?
1: So we talked about a little bit at the front of the show. Um, So your goal is to get to that 50 million. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the end. You'll just pause there. and.
0: (laughs) No, that's a great question, though. A lot of people will ask that. Um, (laughs) This is the world's worst answer. But I think you have to have a goal and something you're striving for, just from a aspirational sense of like, where are we going? But at the same time, the goal is not the fun part for us. The goal is just a destination in the journey, if you will. But we are really enjoying the process. And that's the other thing. I've said it to my kids before. Like, if you love laying bricks, you're going to build a house, right? We love what we do, love the industry, care about the craft, having fun with the team. Um, So I think we'll get there. But when it's not like once we get there, then there's none of that. And this is why I say it's a terrible example. But in Forrest Gump, when he's running back and forth across the country, and they're like, is this for world peace? Is this to to end world (laughs) hunger? And they want this like big, deep answer. And he's like, I like running. (laughs) Like that's kind of it for us. We really love this. And so we do it. And we have a goal to keep our head up. But most of the time our head is down honing and working on the craft of the business.
1: So if someone wants to learn more about Element or speak with you, how can they get in touch?
0: Yeah. So I would say uh, a number one is our website, elementrisk.com. A little shout out to you guys. Lots of videos from Edge of Cinema on there. So I think that gives a nice impression. Um, And then feel free... you. You know, can I give email and that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, So it's just real simple, davidelementrisk.com. If you want to email me, I am admittedly horrible with email. So cell phone is the best, 484-467-3806. Call or text me anytime. Happy to have a conversation. I do, I I really love what we do, so it's fun to talk about. It's not not like, oh, hey, so-and-so's got a question. What a drag. It's like, no, I would love to talk with you if you have questions about this or scaling your business. That's another thing that is universal. It's not just about agencies. It's if someone wants to talk about, Hey, I'm thinking about going from here to here. We walking alongside our clients on those journeys is the most rewarding thing that we do. And so naturally have a lot of conversations about it. And so happy to talk with any, any of your listeners about that. If they, if, if it would be helpful or add value to them.
1: Perfect. Yeah. Anything else you want to add, Jeremy? No,
0: that's it. Thanks so much for coming on. Dave. Yeah, really you got
1: it, guys. It. Thanks, Thanks so much for having me. Stories from the Top is your guide to successful business development. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find Edge of Cinema on YouTube. Stories from the Top is an Edge of Cinema production hosted by Matthew Scura and Jeremy Schmidt. To learn more or get in touch, visit edgeofcinema.com podcast.